Hey guys, I'm Pastor Jason Shirley. I'm the associate pastor right here at Word of Life Church in Carlsbad, New Mexico. And I'm really excited that you have joined us today online. Just a couple of things. I want you to drop us a line if you're watching wherever in the world and let us know where you're watching from. We would love to hear from you. Second, if you want to partner with us today in a financial way, then you can give by texting 84321 and just text your amount, or you can go to our website, wolcarlsbad.com, and you can click the Give tab and give that way. The last thing today is that if you have any needs or anything like that that we can partner with you on, then drop us a line and send us that, and we're going to partner with you in prayer. I believe today is going to be a wonderful day. I want you to open up your heart to receive from the Word of God today and always remember that God is madly in love with you. Let's get to the service. With just a brief background leading into what we're going to share this morning. About 10 years ago now, uh, I had taken a day and went to the desert to pray. I'm just out in the desert just spending time with the Lord and the Lord it's in the month of December and I'm praying about the upcoming year asking God okay what is it that you want us to do this year give us some direction for for the upcoming year and he said these words to me he said I want you to teach more grace and um I thought I knew how to do that, you know, so I'm, okay, I can do that, you know, and uh, as I began to prepare, you know, I was aware at, at that time, I was, I was aware that, uh, that grace could be very misunderstood, and I didn't want to be misunderstood. And so I began to study on the subject. I began to listen to people that I knew that were preaching grace. And I began to listen, okay, how are they communicating this message? How, how are they preaching it in such a way as to not be misunderstood? And... Uh, you know, I, I was aware that, that some of the criticisms of the grace teaching is that some hear the grace message and they think that what we're preaching is that there's no responsibility. You can just live any way you want to live. You can do anything you want to do. Nothing really matters anymore. And in fact, some, and, and th there are some people that have gone so far as to say that there is no hell, everybody it will be saved in the end, uh, and I, I got to tell you that that's just not the truth. Uh, I got to tell you that, uh, you know, um, that, that that is a, a perversion of the grace message, and um, you know, that, that hell is real. Hell exists. There will be people who will go there. And God doesn't want anybody to go there. But nonetheless, some will. And so 
when we preach this, I, I also was aware that every single move of God throughout, you know, from, from the time that, that Jesus went back to heaven and the apostles went out and they preached everywhere and they, they began to, to spread the gospel, the, 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 the messages, every move of God, every message that God has brought in, you know, and, and, and given to the body of Christ, every single one of them have had opportunity to be misunderstood. And, and, and the message of grace is no exception to that. Uh, you know, I was around in the 80s. I know that uh, I don't look that old, but I really am. And uh, I was already an adult by then. And so, uh, you know, I was, I was around in the 80s. And uh, um, I came into what was referred to as the Word of Faith. And in the Word of Faith message, you know, there was so much misunderstanding associated with the Word of Faith. And, and people begin to say, well, you know, you just, uh, you know, we begin to learn the power of our tongue and the power of the words of our mouth. And uh, when we begin to learn those things, you know, people begin, well, you know, you just think that you can just name it and claim it and you can just have anything and it just, you know, see, there's been things like that that have gone on with every single move of God. So why should we expect that the gospel of grace would be any different? And, you know, and, and, and I want to emphasize this. Many Christians believe that as God is, is, is restoring things back to the church, there was a period of time that we call the Dark Ages. And during that period of time, um, much revelation was lost. And the church became extremely corrupt. And, um, you know, and, and so much revelation was lost that we came to a time that we call the Renaissance. And uh, kids in school are taught about the Renaissance, and, and they call it the rebirth of learning. Uh, but what we need to understand is there was a reason for the Renaissance. And the reason for the Renaissance was that men began to learn the Word of God again. And I say that the greatest invention of all time, the most impactful invention of all time, was not the Internet. The most impactful invention of all time was the printing press. And the reason that I say that is because the printing press made it possible for the common man to have his own personal copy of the Word of God. And as he began to study the Word of God, we find men like, like uh, um, Johann Gutenberg, who invented the printing press, the very first thing that he printed off his printing press was the Gutenberg Bible. And there were men like Martin Luther that got a revelation of the just 
shall live by faith. And it began to transform the, the, the world at that time. And every invention that has impacted the world after came because the life of God. You see, we are created in the image and likeness of God. Genesis uh, tells us that God created man in his own image and in his own likeness. And what God did, and I've said this before, that God created it in six days. The scripture says that on the first day he said, and then he said again, and he said, and everything that he said became reality. Came, came to pass, and, and creation came into existence. And um, so God began to speak, but on the sixth day, God created man in his own image and in his own likeness, and God stopped creating. God, he, he, he stopped saying, let there be, you know, and he, and he, and, and he stopped. But what did he do? He put himself inside of the man he formed from the dust of the earth. He breathed into him the breath of life, and he became a living being. Praise God. He, in the image and likeness of God. So what he did was he created a domain for us. And God, the creator, he is the omnipotent one. He is the uh, uh, the omniscient one. He, you know, he he is all in all. He fills all in all. He created all things. And uh, but God had a domain, and His domain was everything. All right, there there was no end to His domain. His domain encompassed everything. But what he did was he wanted us to be like him. So in order for us to be like him, we had to have a domain. We had to have uh, this domain that we had rule over. And what God said to the man was when he created him, he said, let them have dominion, domain, dominion, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, over the creeping things, over everything that creeps upon the earth. Let them have dominion. So he created a domain for us. He put us in charge of that domain. Praise God. Now, God then did not micromanage the domain. He gave Adam the right to make a mistake. He gave Adam the right to choose. That's why he created a tree and put it in the middle of the garden to give him a choice. If he didn't have a, uh, if he didn't have a choice, he didn't really have dominion. And so he, he really was not in the image and likeness of God, so he had to have a choice. You know, I mean, that's, that's an age-old question. So if God knew he was going to eat of that fruit, why did he put that tree in the middle of the garden? Why, why did he create that tree in the first place? Well, he created it so you could be like him. 
He created it so you would have the power to choose. Praise God. And so he put, uh, he, he put that power on the inside of you. He put that creative power on the inside of you. And I made the statement, and I had people get all upset with me because I said that God didn't create everything. And what I meant by that, you know, and, and, and they immediately refer to, to the passage of Scripture that says, and all things were created by him and for him, and without him nothing was made that was made. I, I'm, I'm familiar with that Scripture. But what I was talking about was that God never made an automobile. God never made a computer. God never made a, a, a cell phone. God, God didn't create all of these things. He created all the materials that went into it. I mean, every, everything that is in this, he created everything that's in it. But he put creative power on the inside of you. And if he put creative power on the inside of you, it means nothing unless there is an opportunity to release that creativity. It doesn't mean a thing if, if everything is just done and handed to you and say, here, you know. Unless you have the, the opportunity to actually create something, having creative power doesn't mean a thing. And so he gave us the ability to create. Praise God. And, you know, and, and um, when man created the printing press so that the Word of God could come into the hands of the common man, then creativity began to explode on the inside of human beings. Praise God. Because where Adam had failed and lost the nature of God on the inside of him, Jesus came and he restored that back to us. But until you know what has been restored, you don't understand the significance of it. You got to know that the life and nature of God, see, the, the Apostle Paul wrote this to the Colossians. He said, Christ in you is the hope of glory. You got to know that he's in you. You got to know what he put on the inside of you. Praise God. And so from, from that time, really, we could go back to, uh, the, to the printing press and watch how God has systematically restored back to the church to the body of Christ, truths that have been lost for, for centuries. And God began to restore these things back in, in a systematic fashion, a systematic manner. He began to bring them back. And, and we've watched it through, uh, you know, uh, in, in 1906, uh, there was a great move of God in Los Angeles, California, and it began uh, with a series of meetings with a, a gentleman by the name of William Seymour. And William Seymour began to conduct meetings uh, there on Azusa Street in Los Angeles, California, and God began to pour out the Holy Spirit with evidence of speaking with tongues, and, and it began to transform the world. 
and people came from all over the world. To, many of them came for the, uh, for the purpose of finding fault. They came to criticize. They came to, to find fault with what was going on. They came to expose what they uh, said was false. And they, they would come in. It's documented that many would come in. Sometimes reporters would come in to report on this meeting so they could expose what was wrong with it. And the power of God would hit them, and they would be laid out on the floor for hours and hours speaking with other tongues. And God began to restore these things back to the church. Praise God. We saw, you know, like I said, uh, I came up in, in the word of faith, and God has been restoring truth. But what we have to understand is when God restores a truth to the body of Christ, he doesn't throw away the last one that he restored. All right, so he, he builds upon what was there before. And as a preacher of the gospel of grace, I didn't throw away my roots back in the, in, in the Assembly of God denomination. I didn't throw away my roots there. My roots are in, in that Pentecostal denomination and then I came into the Word of Faith. When I came into the Word of Faith, I didn't throw away all the truths I learned back in, as a kid growing up. And as I began to preach the gospel of grace, I didn't throw away the Word of Faith. I asked God one time, I said, so why didn't you teach me this a long time ago? And he said, because until you learned faith, you couldn't believe it. You know, it's really very simple. So I want to tell you today, don't despise the truths you've learned in the past. Now, there may be some things you've learned wrong. I found there were some things I learned wrong, and we make those adjustments. But not everything I learned was wrong. And if you've got a root of, uh, of, of faith in your life, don't throw that all away. Examine it and make adjustments where it's needed. But... But build upon what you, you know, I, don't ever disrespect what you were taught as a kid uh, concerning the things of God. Don't ever disrespect the truths that you've learned in the past, the places that you came from. Don't ever disrespect those things because God used those things to bring you to where you are now. And I'm here to tell you that he's taking you farther than where you are now. Praise God. If you'll keep walking with Him, He's going to take you farther than where you are right now. Praise God. Praise God. And, you know, and I began to look at this, this gospel of grace that we've been preaching. And the Lord began to show me uh, a, a, a while back the next move of God. And I've already in, seen, had some insight in the Spirit into what's coming. Praise God. And I got to just, just to simply put it, the next move of God is going to be the love movement. Praise God. Because we're going to learn, you got to, but, but notice how God does it. You got to learn faith so you can believe grace. But you got to learn grace so that you can love your neighbor. Praise God. So there is a systematic restoration that is going on. 
Praise God. And I am excited today. We're talking about the nature of God. Did you realize that from the time that Adam fell until Moses, there was no law? 2,500 years of history on earth that there was no law. We call it the Mosaic Law because the law came through Moses. God gave the law through Moses. Well, prior to that time, God didn't relate to man on the basis of law. And what we see in that time is we see grace. Do you realize that when Adam fell, the Bible says that they ate of the fruit that God had, God gave them one, one commandment. And I already talked to you about why he gave them that one commandment. Don't eat from that tree. Because he wanted to give them the power of choice. So he said, don't eat from that tree. But Adam and Eve, they, they saw all of the trees of the garden, but they chose to look at the one that God said, don't eat from. And, you know, the, all of the trees were good for food. And yet they chose the one that they were commanded not to eat from. You see, that's the way law works. They have one law. And yet they chose the, because this is how law works. I, I, I read something uh, a few years ago how that there was, um, there was a man, and I don't know if this is a true story or even based on a true story or if it's something totally hypothetical, but it makes a good point. And uh, there was a man that, that built a greenhouse. He grow vegetables, and, and, and he built this, this glass greenhouse. And he built this, and then he realized that it was right on the path where young boys and girls walking home from school passed by it every single day. And he got to thinking, now nobody had done anything, nobody had, uh, but he got to thinking, well, what if they start throwing rocks? And, you know, break my greenhouse. Nobody had thrown any rocks. Had been walking by it for a, a period of time, and, and nobody had thrown any rocks, but he, he begins to think, what if they do? So he puts up a sign that says, no throwing rocks. Guess what they did? They threw rocks because there was a sign that said don't. They never thought of throwing rocks before. You know, they, they, they never even considered that until somebody said, don't do it. See, and this is what law does. The, the Apostle Paul talked about how that, that law stirs up evil desires. It stirs it up. I wonder why God said, don't do this. And do you realize that's what the serpent did in the Garden of Eden? He said, 
Well, did God say that, you know, did, did he really say you can't eat from all the, from all the trees? He said, no. He said we can eat from all the trees except the one. And he got her to focus on the one that she was told not to eat from and get her focus off of all the ones that he said freely partake of. But you see, God from that time until Moses 2,500 years later did not give the law. Why did he give the law? He gave the law because to, to show us what sin is. And, you know, so, so that we could identify what, what the problem was. Death came as a result of sin, but we didn't know what sin was until he gave the law. And so um, we need to understand that all of this time, see, here's what law does. A law is really has no power unless there is a negative consequence for breaking it. It, it. it has no power unless there's that negative consequence. So when we preach law, we say, well, you, if you break this law, if you do this that the law says don't do, then this is the negative result of doing that. And there can be a positive side of it, too. If you do it, then there can be this positive result but it is law is all about cause and effect praise God now we know that when you put a speed limit sign on the street everybody knows if I break that law there is a likelihood that I'm gonna get a speeding ticket and it's gonna cost me money out of my pocket and if I keep doing it there's a you know and if I do it bad enough, I could go to jail. And if I, if I um, keep doing it, I could get my driver's license suspended. And you know all the consequences of breaking the speed limit law. You, you know all those things. But if, if we just said, you know, speed limit on Mermont Street is 35 miles an hour. Uh, but if you want to drive 40 or 50 or 60, there's no consequence. Well, you know, if we did that, then uh, the, the law would have no power, you see. And so the, there's the negative consequence. And here's the thing. From Adam to Moses, there were people that, that sinned, but they didn't die. But one day, the people told Moses, they said, you go up there on a the mountain, and you hear what God tells us to do, and then you come back and say and tell us what He said, and whatever He says, we'll do it. Well, that was their fatal mistake, is because when when they said that, they essentially are saying, "We, uh, in and of ourselves, we have the ability. We will do whatever God says." Well, how many know that before Moses got back down the mountain? with the law they had already broken it they will do whatever he says well they didn't 
I mean, before the day was over, they had already broken the law. They had already broke number one, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall make to yourselves no graven images. They already made this golden calf, and they were having a party and running around this thing dancing and, and worshiping this golden calf. The very first commandment. They broke it right, off, right out of the gate. You see, from that time on, that day that God gave the law, 3,000 people died. Up to that time, they complained about Moses in the wilderness. What did God do? He gave them manna. They, com they complained ab about Moses and, and uh, uh, that they had no water, so he gave them water from a rock. They complained that they were going to all die in Egypt. And what did he do? He brought them across the Red Sea with a mighty hand. part of the waters of the Red Sea. God responded to, to them, and, and he blessed them, and he helped them, but, on, but nobody died. None of, none of those people died that, that complained. None of those people that, that uh, you know, said, you know, you brought us out here in this wilderness, and we're going to starve to death. Oh, if we were back in Egypt, and they complained, and they, you know, none of them died. But on the day that God gave the law that said, if you have any other gods before me, you know, the consequence is the wages of sin is death, and that day, 3,000 people died. You know, we, we have instances in the Bible, this one man was picking up sticks, on the Sabbath day, and he died. You know, so it, we, we see that it was not God's will, it was not his nature, that is not, was not God's choice. The people asked for the law. So God gave a law, and the law reflected the righteousness of God. It reflected the nature of God. It reflect, re, reflected, re, reflected the holiness of God. Praise God. And, and, and so if man didn't, didn't measure up to the holiness of God, then it resulted in, in death. But it's interesting the day God poured out His Spirit, the day of Pentecost, Jesus had risen from the dead. He had commissioned His disciples. He said, you go and you wait in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. Jesus ascended back into heaven. They went, 120 of them. I don't know how many of them heard Jesus say that, but 120 of them made it to the upper room. And so the 120 are in the upper room, and the Holy Spirit is poured out that day. And isn't it interesting? I, I, I don't think this is coincidence at all that on the day God gave the law, 3,000 died. But on the day he poured out the Spirit, 3,000 were saved. Praise God. The exact same number. Praise God. And then from that time on, he began to add to the church daily those that were being saved. Hallelujah. So we see the nature of God. And this is what we're talking about. Grace, it's his nature. It's 
who he is. Do you realize that God demands some things? People say, well, God demands that we do this, and God demands that we do that, and he demands. Well, everything God demands, you, you check it out in, in the Word of God. What God demands, God supplies the demand. Praise God. God demands that you live holy. He supplied the demand by putting His nature on the inside of you, His holy nature on the inside of you. God, de if, if God demands something, He meets the demand. Tiffany referred to the Scripture as she was receiving the, the offering this morning. Uh, and, and and leading us to to worship the Lord in our giving, she referred to the scripture, you know that um, uh, that God gives seed to the sower and bread for food. Well, if He commands you to sow, He gives you the seed to sow. Doesn't that make sense? You know, under the, under the law, God commanded, bring all the tithe into the storehouse. What did he do? What? I mean, can you, can you hear the nature of God in, in what he said here? What was the tithe? The, tithes, the tithe was a tenth of your increase. It was a tenth. Of, uh, of your income. The very fact that it is a tenth of your income says he supplied the income to start with. You have zero to tithe. How many know that a tenth of zero is zero? And so had he not supplied something, there would be nothing to tithe. If there was, if, if there was no income, if there was no, the, the scripture says it is God that gives you the power to get wealth. So if he had not provided the power to get wealth, then there would be no income. There would be no increase, and so no increase, there is no tithe. So you hear God's nature in that very statement alone that, you know, if he gave it to you in the first place, the only thing that he is asking is that you return a tenth of what he gave you. So we hear the, and see the nature of God that he demands, but he supplies the demand. He gives seed to the sower. Praise God. And so I want us to, uh, to, to look at some things here today. And, you know, there are some misunderstandings about God that prevent us from being able to receive the grace message. There, there are some misconceptions about God that if you have these misconceptions, you will not be able to believe the grace message. Now, Psalm 145, verses 8 and 9 says, The Lord is gracious, 
full of compassion, slow to anger, great in mercy. The Lord is good to who? All. And His tender mercies are over all His works. There we see the nature of God. This is what God is like. Several years ago, I was reading 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter, that we call the love chapter. And, you know, we have, have read that and preached on it, that, that, you know, you should walk in love. And if you walk in love, this is how you walk in love. And that's how we had taught 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter. And one day I was reading that and meditating on it, and the Spirit of the Lord reminded me that the Apostle John wrote this, God is love. And 1 Corinthians 13 starts out like this, God, uh, or love is. When we find the whole list of things there, you know, love is patient, love is is kind, love is, you know, and it goes into all that. But John said, God is love. And then the Apostle Paul, writing to the Corinthians, he said, and love is. So I made that connection with my lightning quick mind. It took me years to do it. But, uh, but, you know, I made that connection that if God is love and love is, then this is not just a revelation of how I should behave, uh, you know, according to love, but this is a revelation of God. Because it tells me what love is. And so I begin to read that with that mentality. I encourage you to do that. Spend some time in 1 Corinthians 13 and, and, and read it like this. Now, certainly the truth is there that if I, if I love, I should be patient. If I love, I should behave kindly. If I love, I should, you know, and, and, and that, that uh, revelation, that truth is there, but there's something deeper there that we need to see. This is how God is. And as I begin to read, in fact, I encourage you, if you have an Amplified Bible, and you can get it, uh, you know, online, you, you have access to an Amplified Bible. And so if you get the Amplified Bible and you begin to read that in the Amplified Bible, it goes, it's much more descriptive about each of those. Love is patient. Love is kind. And it talks about what each of those, you know, those elements of that are. And, uh, you know, and when we do that, we begin to realize that much of what people have believed about God is not what 1 Corinthians 13 says love is. In fact, you know, the very first one, love is patient. But yet we thought, I, I read a book uh, once, and the, there was a statement made in the book that said that he's not the, the hair trigger God. And you understand what, what that means. He's not the hair trigger. He's, you know, he's waiting to pull the trigger. He just can't wait. You know, he's got an itchy itchy trigger finger and just ready to pull the trigger on you. But that's not what it says love is. Love is patient. So therefore, God is patient. God is not the, the hair trigger God. You know. 
And, and so read that and begin to meditate on all those elements because there are things about God that we have viewed wrong that make it impossible for us to believe the gospel of grace. Now, what are some of those things? You know, first of all, you know, we have thought and, and, and have been taught, maybe, that if when we sin, when, when we fail, when we have sin in our life, when we have things, well, we break off fellowship with God and He won't talk to us. That God, will, you know, He can't look at sin. We got sin, so God can't look at us. But did you realize when Adam sinned in the Garden of Eden, it was Adam that hid, not God. God came in the cool of the day, and he came looking for Adam. You think God knew what Adam had done? Of course he did. God knew exactly what he had done. But God came looking for Adam. It was Adam that hid. It was Adam and Eve that sewed together fig leaves to cover themselves. That God didn't tell them to do that. They did that on their own. It was Adam that hid from God, not God that turned away from Adam. But if we think that God turns away from us, Whenever we sin, whenever we fail, we're, we're going to hide just like Adam did. We're going to hide from God. You ever wonder why people that, have, that are not living right stop coming to church? The same reason Adam hid. Because they believe God's angry with them, God's mad at them, God is, you know... And so, therefore, I mean, I have been unfriended by so many people you would not believe. Because, not because I'm God, but because I represent God to them. And so, when they're being behind ends, you know, and, and they're behaving in such a way, you know, the first thing they do is unfriend the preacher. Same reason Adam hid. And so, you know, I know what's going on. You know, I, I'm no dummy. I know what's going on. And I know why they unfriended me. I didn't do anything to them. They didn't do anything to me, but somehow they did something that caused them to feel uneasy about, you know, being, being the pastor's friend. And so they unfriend me. Adam hid from God. And if we have that mentality, we cannot embrace the grace of God. See, because... That kind of mentality tells me I should be punished. I don't want to be punished, but I should be punished. Now, 
in Genesis chapter 3, it says, Also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. Now, they tried to make clothes for themselves by sewing fig leaves together. When God came along, he said, if you, you know, if you need to hide, all right, here we're going to do this right. And there was a blood sacrifice. Now, how many know you can't skin an animal without shedding some blood? You can't get the animal skins without there being blood shed. So God said, all right, here's how we're going to do this. There has to be blood involved. There has to be blood shed. And since I am demanding the blood, I'm going to make you some clothes to cover yourself with. So he, he demanded something. Blood was demanded, and God provided the blood. Do you get that? You see what I said? God demands something. And God supplies the demand. Praise God. Praise God. He made the clothes. Now, in Genesis chapter 22, we read the story of how that God gave Abraham a, a, a son. And that one day, he tells Abraham, he says, I want you to take your son, your only son. I want you to take him up on a mountain that I'm going to show you to a place I'll show you. And I want you to offer him there as a burnt offering to me. And... So Abraham, just he, he is just, he's learned whatever God says, okay, we might as well go ahead and do it. And so he had, already, he had determined, he, he took uh, his son Isaac, and he took one of his servants with him, and they went to this mountain, and then he, he told the servant, he said, you wait here, the boy and I, we're going to go up on the mountain, and we're going to sacrifice to God. And he told the servant, he said, the boy and I will return. But Abraham had every intention of sacrificing Isaac there on that mountain. But then when Isaac asked the question, he said, Father, where's the sacrifice? Abraham said this to him. He said, the Lord will provide himself an offering. Now, Abraham, I don't know if Abraham was aware that he was prophesying that day, but you see, God demanded a sacrifice from Abraham, and God provided the sacrifice. Now, that day, Abraham is getting ready to... to uh, to slay his son Isaac and the Lord stops him and he says don't do the boy any harm he says because uh, you know I now I know that that you won't withhold anything from me and Abraham turns around and there's a ram caught in the thicket and so he takes the the ram and he offers him as a sacrifice but you see God demanded a sacrifice and God met the demand with the ram. Now what we didn't know at that time, now we see it as we look back through scripture, we know that was a type of the fact that God demanded a lamb to be offered 
And what did John the Baptist say when he looks up? He's baptizing people in the Jordan River, and he looks up and he sees Jesus coming. And he tells the people, he says, Behold, look, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. God demanded a sacrifice. Now, until Jesus could come on the scene, there was an animal sacrifice. But it was pointing toward the day when God himself, Abraham said it this way, he said, the Lord will provide himself an offering, a sacrifice. Praise God. So what did he do when, Abe, when, when Jesus is coming to John the Baptist, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world? He provided himself as the sacrifice. God demanded something, but God always supplies the demand. Praise God. Praise God. But we have this this mentality of God, this view of God that He is demanding. And if we have that view of God that He's demanding, but we don't see that He supplies the demand, see, then it makes it impossible for us to believe the gospel of grace. Praise God. Now, let's go a little bit further. Some say, you know, and I, I heard this for years. Back in those days when I was growing up, you know, we would, we would preach about the Holy Spirit and the, the baptism with the Holy Spirit. The, the denomination that I was in, we believed in the baptism with the Holy Spirit with evidence of speaking with tongues. But one thing that we believed about that was that you had to, they, they called it tarrying for the Holy Spirit. And they, and they referred to the scripture that said that, uh, you know, Jesus said to the disciples, tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. But the problem is, we said you had to tarry to receive the baptism with the Holy Spirit. But nobody ever went to Jerusalem. Okay, that was kind of a, 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 a point, but a backdoor joke to go in with it, you know. We, we tarried for the Holy, we, we, in fact, we wouldn't even say Holy Spirit back then. We all, it was Holy Ghost. Because Holy Ghost was the King James Version language, okay. And so we would say we tarried for the Holy Ghost. But nobody went to Jerusalem to tarry. And so, uh, you know, thank God I learned one day that you didn't have to tarry because they already did. All right? So Holy Spirit has already come. Praise God. So the tarrying part is no longer necessary. It's the receiving part that we have to do now. It, we simply receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Praise God. But, um, you know, we talked about, um, you know, the, the waiting 
or the tarrying for the Holy Spirit. But I want you to see something here. Look at this. In 1 John chapter 1, verse number 7, it says this, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. But here's what they said. There would be people who would, you know, I would, I would hear people talk about, well, I've been tarrying for the Holy Ghost for 30 years. I'm thinking, why? You know. And then when someone would come to tarry for the Holy Ghost, if they didn't receive uh, immediately or, or quickly within a short period of time, then they would start, well, you know, is there, there, there's something that's hindering you. Is there sin in your life? And they would always ask that question, well, you know, you got to get the sin out of your life. That's like going to the doctor, and he says, when you get well, I'll give you some medicine. You realize Holy Spirit has come to help you get the sin out. But if you can't receive Holy Spirit until you get the sin out, where's the disconnect here? Where, where's the issue? Where's the problem here? And we've said that he won't live. I heard this said many, many times. Holy Spirit will not live, or Holy Ghost will not live in a dirty house. So, here's the view of God that we have had. He won't live. God, the Holy Spirit will not live in a dirty house, so therefore we've got to clean the house before he comes in. But here's the problem. Anybody ever watch Hoarders? All right. I, I heard uh, significant laughter, meaning that yes, you have. All right. We've seen Holy Spirit as though he would not set foot in that house got to clean the house but do you see the 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 people on the show the people on hoarders they come and they go in to the house for the purpose of helping you clean it up helping you clean up the mess that's holy spirit holy spirit comes and he moves right into a dirty house and he helps you clean up the dirty house so if you're trying to get the house clean before the holy spirit comes you're denying your help. He wants to come and help you. I'm not saying he don't want the house clean. I'm saying he'll help you clean it. Praise God. Praise God. And if we have this view of God that he shuns anything that is, you know, it's, it's almost like, you know, we talk about Adam hiding from God. It, and people would say this, well, uh, a holy God cannot tolerate sin. I say this, sin cannot tolerate the holiness of God. So when he moves in, 
the sin begins to exit. The sin begins to move out. It begins to change you from the inside. He doesn't say clean house so I can move in. He says, I'm going to move in. I'm going to help you clean the house. Praise God. Because the holiness of God will drive out sin. But we thought that sin would drive out the holy God. If that's true, then greater is he that is in the world than he that is in you. But my Bible tells me greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Praise God. So if I have this view of God, I can't, I can't receive the grace of God. I, I can't wrap my mind around how that a holy God could tolerate, you know, being in the presence of me when I know I've got sin in my life. But you see, I need him in my life. Because if I could clean this thing up without him, would have already done it. But I can't clean this thing up without him. I can't get this all fixed. I can't get this all straightened out without him. So if you see somebody who is raising their hands and, and, and praising God in church, and yet you see them after church, and they're behaving in a different way, you know what? Don't call them a fake. Don't call them a, a hypocrite. Say, no, this is a person who is, who's looking for help. This is the person who's saying, come on in, Lord, and help me. I'm a mess. I got this thing all messed up, and I need you to help me. Praise God. You see, those that, that are critical of the grace message, they think... That, that what we're saying when we talk like this, they think we're saying that God is okay with sin. God is not okay with sin, and, but let me tell you why. It is not because God is offended by your sin. Do you realize that, that offense, taking offense toward things, do you realize that's a human weakness? Somebody did me wrong, and so I'm offended. God's not like that. that. That's a human weakness, and God doesn't have that human weakness that he gets offended at, at stuff. And so as long as we think God's offended about this, we can't receive the grace message. But you see, God's not offended by the fact that I fail to measure up to the standard. He says, no, I'm going to come and help you. Praise God. Jesus called him a helper. But we think we have to get to the place we don't need help before he'll come. God is not excusing sin. The reason he hates sin is not because he's offended by it. The reason he hates sin is because sin hurts you. Do you understand that? Until you get that, until you get that mentality, you cannot receive the grace message. You, you can't relate to it. You can't, you, you know... 
until we understand why it is that he hates sin. He knows that when you do this, when you behave like this, this will be the consequence of that. Do you realize God hates murder? He hates sin, right? So he hates murder. Well, he hates murder for a, a, a myriad of reasons. He hates murder, one, because he doesn't want you in prison. He hates murder because he doesn't want the children of the person you murdered to be without a father or a mother. He hates murder because he doesn't want the mother or the father of the person you murdered to be without their child. He hates murder because he doesn't, you know, this, this whole myriad of reasons that he hates it, and one of it is not that he's offended by it, that he gets his feelings hurt because of it. That's not one of the reasons. God hates adultery. Why does he hate adultery? Not because he's offended at it, not because he gets his feelings hurt over it, but one, he doesn't want your marriage broken up. Two, he doesn't want the marriage of the person you committed adultery with broken up. Three, he doesn't want the families broken up so that the children live in a home where you know, one of their parents is absent. You see, there's a number of reasons why he hates it, and one of them is not because he's offended about it. All of the reasons have to do with you and how it affects you. Sin will always have negative consequences on you, and God does not want you to experience those negative consequences. But as long as we think God's just oh it, it upsets him he, he's offended about that you know we can't receive we can't understand the grace message we got to understand the goodness of God we got to understand that he is for us you know as a as a parent of uh, of young children, how many of you, uh, uh, you know, um, did not want your children to play in the street? You know, I mean, can, can we just have a show of hands this morning to, to 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 show me that first of all that you're awake, secondly that 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 you're following with me? If you got small children or have had small children, how many of you do not want those small children playing in the street? All right, we are unanimous today, except for those that don't have any children yet. Uh, you know, why didn't you want them to play in the street? Because you have something against the street? Well, that's a dirty street out there. Well, you know, I, I, just, I just don't want you to play out there. It offends me when you play in the street. No, the reason you didn't want them to play in the street is because you knew the dangers that existed out there and you knew that there was a high likelihood that they would get hit by a car and 
you know, could severely injure them if not kill them. You didn't want them in the street because you didn't want them hurt. Had nothing to do with your feelings being hurt. Well, that just hurts my feelings for you to play in the street. No, that, you know, how, how dumb can we get? That's not why you didn't want your kids to play in the street. You didn't want them to play in the street because you didn't want them hurt. And God is that way about sin in your life. God does not want you to entertain. He doesn't want you to tolerate. He doesn't want you to put up with. He doesn't want you to live in that kind of way because there will always be negative consequences associated with it, and He doesn't want you to experience those consequences. But as long as you think that it's about offending Him, you'll never be able to receive the grace message. But when you begin to understand why God says don't do this, and when you begin to understand that it's for your benefit, praise God, then you'll begin to know the love of God. And the Apostle Paul wrote to the Romans, he said, do you, not, do, do you despise the forbearance of God? Do you despise the, the goodness and forbearance of God? He says, don't you know that it is the goodness of God that leads you to repentance? When you begin to see the goodness of God, the goodness of God that says, I don't want you hurt, that's His goodness. And when you begin to see the goodness of God that doesn't want you hurt, then it causes you to understand, and now you've embraced grace. Now, does anybody disagree? No, I'm, I better not ask that. You can tell me later. But, you know, how, how can you disagree with the goodness of God that doesn't want you hurt and that God is for you, and He wants to bless you, not to harm you. Jeremiah 29, 11, he, he has plans for you to bless you, not to harm you. Praise God. Not to keep you from good things. The Bible says no good thing will He withhold from them who walk upright. No good thing. He doesn't want to withhold anything from you. The Bible tells us that if He spared not His own Son, but He freely delivered Him up for us all, how shall He not also with Him freely give us all things? Because He is a blesser, not a curser. He is for you. He wants your life to be amazing. Praise God. And when we begin to see the goodness of God, the goodness of God will lead us right straight to changing our mind. Praise God. My mind says, well, I need to do this, I need to do that. But when I begin to see the love of God for me, and I begin to understand His way is much better, and I begin to understand His goodness for me, it draws me toward Him, not away from Him. Those who, do, who, who oppose the gospel of grace, they believe that grace will actually cause people to want to sin. But grace doesn't make me want to sin. Grace makes me want to love the good God. Yeah. Hallelujah. And it makes me want to run as far from sin, as fast from sin as I can. Praise God. 
Oh, yeah, there'll be times when I'll come short of that. There'll be times that I'll fail in that. But then I can look at the goodness and the grace of God that is still for me. He didn't abandon me. He didn't turn his back on me. He didn't run away from me. He's not the one that hid. Praise God. And it causes me to turn around. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Like the kid who's about to step out in the street and a car <laughs> flies by. And it scares the living daylights out of him. He wasn't scared of the parents. He was scared because of the, because of the car that he saw before his eyes. He saw why he wasn't supposed to play in the street. And he began to understand that mama loved him. And so he turns right around and he heads back to the porch to the safety of mom. You see, when we begin to see sin right before us and the consequence of it and, and, and we, we begin to see what, what could have happened we begin to see that good Father God is trying to keep me from that. Hallelujah. And it makes me turn around and run as fast as I can right back to Him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Well, today, let me just tell you this. You're experiencing sickness and disease in your body. You're experiencing pain in your body. God, you know, the, the parent didn't, when, when the kid went out in the street, the parent didn't go get in the car and run over him. You know, that's not how parents teach their children. And if you're experiencing sickness and disease and pain in your body, it's not because God's trying to teach you something. It's not because God is wanting to put something on you to punish you because he's mad. No, that, that's not the nature of God. His nature is his favor toward you, his goodness toward you. And today, he has provided. Remember I said what God demands he provides? Well, God demands uh, or, or God provides for healing for our bodies. Praise God. He provided for that in the fact that he laid our sickness, disease, and pain on Jesus. Because he's a good God. He's a good God. I've heard people say, well, you know, I, you know I'm, I'm just experiencing this in my body because, you know, I, I've been in rebellion against God and... And, you know, I've, I've been hard against God, and I'm experiencing this in my body because I've lived a, a lifestyle, and I've done things to my body that I shouldn't have done, and, you know, and, and, and this kind of thing. And, well, you know, I'm experiencing this in my body because, um, you know, the, you, you've heard them. But let me tell you, God wants you healed because grace is His nature. Grace is his nature. He wants to have grace and show grace to you today. And you're not going to be healed because you measured up. 
you receive healing today, you're going to receive healing because He's good. You're going to receive healing because His favor is towards you. And I'm telling you today, it is towards you. Praise God. If you need healing in your body, I want to invite you to come this morning. We want to lay hands on the sick this morning. When we do, there's going to be transfer of the anointing of God. It's going to go into your body, and it's going to produce the healing and the cure. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Anybody, just, just go ahead and come. Just go ahead and come. Hallelujah. I know there's several in the house today that you're struggling with various different things today. There's some that are watching me online today that, that you're not here today because you're struggling with sickness and disease and, and, and pain in your body. And you're not here today for that reason. But praise God. As I said when we started today, I trust that healing or, or, or that, that, uh, uh, that, that faith for healing is rising on the inside of you because you know God is for you. And there is absolutely nothing you have done that will prevent you from being healed. Rest in that right now. Rest in that right now. Well, with that said, there, there may be some others that need, to, that need to be coming up this morning. There may be some others coming up. But you need healing in your body. And I assure you, there is nothing that you have done that will prevent you from receiving healing. Now, get, get this. When, when you come, don't come trying to make your case before God. Don't, don't try to tell God why you deserve this. I'm doing better. Well, I'm here this morning. You know, uh, well, I've been praying for this. Don't, none of that. Let it be totally because he's good. All right? All right? Praise God. Well, Father, in the name of Jesus, we release the healing anointing of God right now. In Jesus' name, because you are good. Receive that in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, receive it in Jesus' name. Receive that healing anointing of God. In the name of Jesus, receive your healing in Jesus' name. Because He is good, receive your healing because He is good. Amen. Receive that now in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Receive that now in the name of Jesus because He is good. He is good because He wants you healed in Jesus' name. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. 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 Thank you, Jesus, because He wants you healed. Because He is good. He is good. His favor is towards you. His favor is upon you. And His favor says healing to you. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, His favor is for you. His favor is producing healing in your body right now. In the name of Jesus, receive it now in Jesus' name. Receive it now in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. <laughs> yes, thank you, Jesus. He's good. 
He's good. All because he's good. All because he's good. Receive that now in the name of Jesus. Be pain-free in the name of Jesus because he is good. He is good. He doesn't want you suffering. He doesn't want you in pain. He is good. Receive that now in Jesus' name. Receive it in the name of Jesus. Receive the healing anointing of God in your body right now because he is good. He is good and his favor is upon you. So receive it now in the name of Jesus. Receive it now in the name of Jesus. Receive it now in the name of Jesus because he is good. He is good and he is for you. And he has provided healing for your body. He's provided it, so just receive it now in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Let that healing anointing of God go in right now to produce that healing in Jesus' name. Receive it now. Receive it now in the name of Jesus because he's good. Because he is good. He is good. Receive your healing now because he is good and his favor is upon you. His favor says, I want you healed. His favor says, I want you well. I want you healthy. I want you strong. In the name of Jesus, receive that now. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus. Father, in the name of Jesus, we just release that healing anointing now in Jesus' name because you are good. You are a good God. <laughs> you are a good God who has favorably supplied healing in Jesus' name. So receive it now. Receive it now. Father, in the name of Jesus, Father, we just thank you that you are so good. You are so good. Father, it is your will for Brittany to be healthy and strong. Father, that every, every part of her body be healed and healthy and strong in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. <laughs> yes. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we're thankful that the healing, the, 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 the mending is, uh, started a while back. But, Father, I just thank you for accelerating today in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. That recovery accelerating in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. 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 There's some people watching me online today that you need healing in your body. You need healing in your body. I want you to put your hand wherever it is on your body that you need healing. That your head, your, your heart, your joints, you know, whatever area of your body that you need healing in today, I want you to put your hand on that. Right now, in the name of Jesus, we release the healing anointing of God into bodies all around the world today. In Jesus' name, receive the healing power of God in the name of Jesus because He is good. Not because of what you have done, but because He is good and His favor is towards you. So receive it now in Jesus' name. 
you've never received Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. Praise God. He loves you. And it doesn't matter what you have done or where you have come from. It doesn't matter what you have believed in the past. Today, believe He wants you saved. Hallelujah. Whether you're watching online or whether you're sitting in this room, He wants you saved. Believe He wants you saved. And believe that He demanded a payment for sin, but He met the demand. He met the demand in that Jesus bore your sin in His body. So right now, in the name of Jesus, receive your salvation. Say this with me. Say, I believe that Jesus, the Son of God, came to this earth. He went to the cross to pay for my sins. He died there on that cross and was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father. Right now, I choose the salvation that He is offering to me. I receive it, and I confess Jesus as my Lord. According to God's Word, you are now saved. Thank you once again for joining us today online. We value you, and we want to hear from you. If you made a decision for Christ today, you can select I Choose Jesus on our website, and we've got a couple videos for you to watch so that you can get started on your walk with God. We've also got a free ebook that you can download right from our website called I Choose Jesus, and I want to encourage you to do that. Once again, thank you for joining us, and remember that God is madly in love.